How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken disease management system. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I believe that all diseases can be prevented or reversed, and I'm dedicated to empowering millions of people to go from disease and dysfunction into living the best life possible. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is pretty darn important, given that cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, are the top killer diseases in not just in the U.S., but across the world. And we're going to be discussing LDL particles and their impact on cardiovascular risk. So I want to start off by defining what is LDL and then explore its role in physiology, in cardiovascular physiology and health. So LDL stands for low-density lipoproteins, which most people know, and it's a type of lipoprotein that plays a critical role in transporting cholesterol through the blood system, cholesterol and fats throughout the system. It's often referred to as bad cholesterol. One of my colleagues, Dr. Alan Hopkins, says you remember it by LDL as the lousy cholesterol. So it's the bad cholesterol because high levels can increase the risk of cardiovascular disease, such as atherosclerosis, heart disease, and strokes. It doesn't mean it's a bad guy and we should be eliminating it from the body. All of these things that we have problems with when they get high, we don't need them at all. The body needs them. We just need the right amount and the right balance. And today we're going to talk about particle sizes and the breakdown of the LDLs in terms of which ratios of particle sizes are going to be helpful for your patients and your clients as they're navigating the world of cardiovascular disease and looking to prevent their risks and lower their risks, especially in people who have a high risk due to either genetics or family history, or actually they're usually the same thing. So let's talk about what LDLs do in the body. Their primary function is to transport cholesterol to various cells and tissues. Essentially, cholesterol is super important, right? It's not the bad guy either that we want to get rid of it completely. It's essential for building cell membranes. It's for brain health, for making hormones, especially like sex hormones and adrenal hormones, for forming bile acids to aid in fat digestion. So it's not the bad guy, but too much of anything is not good. And so that's what we're looking at here. LDL particles contain cholesterol molecules at their core, and then they have a shell that's proteins and other lipids. And we'll talk a little bit more detail about what that looks like. They deliver the cholesterol to the cells by binding to LDL receptors on the cell surfaces. We know that everything has receptors. Hormones have receptors, neurotransmitters have receptors, and cholesterol is no different. So once the LDL binds to a receptor, it allows the cell to take the cholesterol in 
to do its various things like make hormones or you know, make myelin sheaths or other things like that. So what happens if we have high levels of LDL? And most doctors' labs agree that over 100 is considered high. Some are even recommending that people keep it below 75. So high levels of LDL can lead to the accumulation of excess cholesterol in the artery walls. And that can contribute to the formation of atherosclerotic plaques, which is what breaks off either clogs an artery and we get an ischemic problem where the, there's no blood flow going to a part of the heart or part of the brain. But also it can happen when it's a rupture of the plaque and it releases a lot of oxidative byproducts that are not so good. Elevated levels of LDL are a significant risk factor for cardiovascular disease, but not all LDL is made the same. So there's different sizes of particles and there's different density of particles that make a big difference in how atherosclerotic an LDL is. So someone might have a high level of LDL and is less at risk than somebody who has a lower level, but has more of the problematic, which we'll talk about what those are in a moment. It's really important to note that when we do the standard lipid panel and it says cholesterol and LDL and HDL and triglycerides, LDL is not actually measured. It's calculated. So it's not as accurate as one might think. So we'll look at a little bit further along here when I talk about how to measure these things, how we can tell really what somebody's degree of risk is. So let's talk about what LDLs are composed of, and then we'll look at the different types of particles. And then we're going to talk about what do we do if we have a patient or a client who has imbalances in these particles? How can we help them? How can we get their LDLs to play nice with the body? So LDLs have, like we said, the core, and the core is cholesterol, esters, and triglycerides. And then there's surface proteins, and those are phospholipids and free cholesterol, and proteins known as apolipoproteins. We did a recent podcast episode on apolipoproteins, in particular apolipoprotein E. So we have apolipoprotein B, especially B100, and it's a critical role in binding to LDL receptors on the cell surfaces. So it allows the particle to interact with the cells and deliver cholesterol. So it's important. And apolipoprotein E is involved in receptor-mediated uptake of LDL by the liver, right? So either one of these being out of balance can cause a problem. The other piece of the puzzle of the LDL construction is free cholesterol, and that's usually on the surface, and it can be transferred to the cell membranes when LDL binds to them and then transfers over the cholesterol. Phospholipids are important. We've heard of phospholipids. We've heard of phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylethanolamine, and these are important, and they're a part of the surface layer of the LDL particles. They've got a hydrophobic and a hydrophilic part. What does that mean? Hydrophobic is fearing water and hydrophilic is attracting water. So they're really key for helping to transport things like fats in the blood. The blood is liquid, right? It's water-based and the fats are lipid-based and they don't really mix all that well and the phospholipids help them to mix better. And then we have triglyceride molecules. And we've heard about triglycerides. And the transport of triglycerides is not mostly 
done by LDLs, but more with VLDLs, very low density lipoproteins. And there's a lot of controversy these days over LDL. If you watch YouTube video, there's people arguing, there's people showing you somebody else's video and then telling you why they're wrong. There's controversy because there is no set, hey, this is what the problem is when you just look at LDLs. But we want to look at the full picture, which is when we look at the particle sizes. Some say you eat this way. Some say you eat that way. Some say just eat carnivore. And even if your cholesterol goes up, it's not a problem. We don't really know the answer, but I'm always a big fan of air on the side of caution so that we don't do things that we know can be problematic. There's a big difference between what's called LDLC, which is LDL cholesterol, which is what I just told you about, and LDLP, which is actually the particle count, how many of these LDL particles are there. And there's different types of LDL particles. Most practitioners are only looking at the standard blood chemistry, which doesn't take into account at all the particle sizes, doesn't generally look at VLDL doesn't look at whether LDL is oxidized or not. And obviously oxidized LDL is a lot more damaging and dangerous than LDL that's not oxidized. The smaller particles are thought to be more atherogenic, leading to atherosclerosis, plaque forming, than the larger buoyant LDL particles. So those are dense LDL particles. The larger ones are more buoyant, they're fluffy, <laughs> and they're more dangerous because the smaller ones can easily penetrate into the artery wall. So now they're not just in the bloodstream, they're actually in the artery wall, in the endothelial lining of the blood vessels, and they become trapped inside the wall. And that can initiate the formation of plaques, especially if we have a lot of oxidized LDL in there. And they can rupture in there and that can cause a problem as well. So there's a lot of problems that can happen. The small dense LDL particles are a lot more susceptible to oxidation than are the larger, more buoyant ones. And oxidized LDL is inflammatory, right? We know that oxidized anything is inflammatory and it can trigger an autoimmune response within the arterial walls. And then that can cause a lot of problems as well, leading to myocarditis and other things like that. And it causes white blood cells to like come over to the area and that can cause the creation of things called foam cells, which are key steps in plaque formation. The small dense particles may have a reduced ability to bind to the LDL receptors on the cell surfaces. And that means that they may circulate in the bloodstream longer, giving them more opportunities to interact with the arterial walls, get themselves embedded in there and undergo oxidative changes. The small dense particles are associated with higher triglycerides. We just normally see if somebody has elevated particles, small dense particles, they also have elevated triglycerides. And that's an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. The small dense particles are frequently observed in people with insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, which of course we know is associated with the risk of type 2 diabetes, which is associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease. The large buoyant particles are considered less atherogenic, and they're generally associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular descent. So why are they considered better? Well, they're less likely to penetrate into the arterial wall. They're too big, making them less prone to initiating the production of atherosclerotic plaques. 
they're less susceptible to oxidation, which means they're less likely to trigger inflammation within the arteries. Large LDL particles are more efficiently cleared from the bloodstream by the liver through LDL receptors, reducing the time that they're in circulation and their potential to undergo oxidative changes. People with large buoyant LDL particles typically have lower triglyceride levels, which is associated with a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. It's really important for us to consider that while the size and density of LDL particles are crucial factors in cardiovascular risk, they're not the only determinants of cardiovascular risk. There are other factors like the total LDL particle count, overall lipid profile, genetics, lifestyle factors. These all play a role in cardiovascular risk. Another one is LP little a, lipoprotein little a, which we talked about in a previous episode. And that's even smaller than the dense ones. And it's even more problematic when it gets into the arterial walls. So what really needs to happen is that we should be doing a comprehensive look at cardiovascular risk, not just looking at the standard lipid panel, which is cholesterol, LDL, HDL, and triglycerides. Looking at ratios is great. Most of the panels will look at the ratio of cholesterol to HDL, cholesterol to LDL, HDL to LDL. One of the ones they don't do all that often is triglycerides to HDL ratio. And that's an important marker has been found to be increased risk of metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance and then diabetes. So those are ratios we need to look at. But beyond the standard lipid panel, we should be looking at a whole lot more. We should be looking at what's called an advanced lipid panel on a lot of different labs. Cleveland Clinic has one, just LabCorp and uh, Quest have them. And there's various places that are heart focused that have these panels that are advanced lipid panel. They have the particle sizes. They have the number of particles. So how many small, how many large? Are they a type A, which means that you're mostly the buoyant ones, the large buoyant, or B, which are mostly the tight ones, the ones that are most atherosclerotic. We need to look at the oxidized LDLs, right? How much of that LDL is actually oxidized and causing more damage to the artery walls so that, you know, plaques can stick to them. So we have to look at all of those things. And the LP little a, of course, lipoprotein little a, which we talked about, and like I said, in a previous episode, we need to be looking at the whole picture. Secondly, we need to be looking at what kind of lifestyle factors interfere and influence how atherogenic these LDL particles are. And what's been found is, of course, not no surprise to you, Diet, exercise, and stress are key components in keeping these particles in balance and reducing the risk of atherosclerosis, leading to heart attack, stroke, aneurysms, and all sorts of major life-disruptive activities. So the diet, controversial. Like some people say, eat more meat. Some people say, eat no meat. Some people say, eat lots of plants with the phytonutrients to fight off the oxidation. Others say you don't need that. What's true? I think that we all need to look at avoid harmful oxidized fats. So avoid hydrogenated oils, avoid margarines and mayonnaise and Crisco and all those kind of things that are already oxidized when they're getting into the system. Avoid sugar and refined carbs that are going to put you into blood sugar swings. So it's really important 
that you address the blood sugar issues in all your people who have increased cardiovascular risk, either because of the test, because of the genetics, or just looking at their family history and seeing that, like me, mom died at 56 of a heart attack. Dad died at 64. Grandma had her first heart attack at 56, got diagnosed with diabetes then, and then later went in for quadruple bypass surgery and died after that. Another grandfather who died suddenly of a heart attack, another grandfather, and then a cousin. And all this stuff says, hmm, this needs to be something I am careful about. Are you doing that careful history to see what the risk is? And then if there's that risk, absolutely should be doing these advanced lipid tests. Another thing you need to do is looking at a coronary CT scan and looking at how much calcium is already built up, how much calcified plaque, and then looking at carotid arteries for the scans that are looking for more of that soft plaque, which can develop before the hard plaque. So these are things that we should be doing for people who are at risk. So what else do we do? Well, in addition to heart healthy diet, and it's experimenting with each person, right? Get rid of the crap, get them on a lot of high nutrient density foods, avoid the stuff that's going to cause oxidation. But also there are some nutrients that you can do that will help with the LDL particle balance, help the person create more of the large ones and less of the uh, small ones, and also lower the total count. So omega-3 fats, right? We talk about omega-3 fats all the time. They help lower triglycerides and reduce the number of the small, dense LDL particles. So check your people, make sure they're eating a diet that's rich in omega-3 fats. Do an essential fatty acid test or a full-blown fatty acid panel to look at what are the ratios of omega-3 to omega-6 and get them in balance. Plant sterols and stanols. They're found in certain foods that, and also you can get them as supplements. They work by reducing absorption of dietary cholesterol in the intestine. So you're going to absorb less. Now, in somebody who's plant-based and doesn't eat any cholesterol in the intestinal tract, may not be important, but you got to remember that the liver is producing cholesterol and that cholesterol will get adhered to the bile whenever somebody's trying to digest fats. So it may be a problem for other people that they're absorbing, reabsorbing too much of that cholesterol. We don't know. I know for sure if somebody's eating a diet that has cholesterol. Niacin, vitamin B3, it's shown to increase HDL and decrease LDL, especially the small dense ones and the lipoprotein little a's. Soluble fiber can be found in lots of foods like oats, psyllium husks, and legumes are the most popular ones, but it's found in a lot of food. Soluble fiber can help lower LDLs by binding the cholesterol in the digestive tract and preventing its absorption into the bloodstream. A CoQ10. Some studies suggest that CoQ10 can improve LDL particle size, the distribution small versus large, and reduce oxidative stress. So reduce the oxidized cholesterol and making it less likely to contribute to atherosclerosis. Everybody's kind of heard of red yeast rice. It's a fermentation of rice and it produces a red yeast that contains compounds similar to statins. And they've been shown to reduce LDL cholesterol, including the small dense. But again, 
it works similar to statins. So you do have to be careful and make sure that you're in addition supplementing somebody with CoQ10 because that pathway that statins work on. Now they're mild statins, but they still function as statins. What about green tea extract? They're known to have a lot of antioxidants in the form of catechins, and that can help improve LDL particle size, reduce the oxidative damage to LDL particles. And green tea, drinking green tea or taking green tea extract as a supplement can be helpful for a lot of people. This doesn't mean everybody you're working with that has cardiovascular risk or that has a lipid profile showing this should take all of these. But like anything else, you want to personalize. And personalizing their plan may find that some of these things work better than others. Berberine, right? We know berberines in Oregon grape root and barberry and golden seal. And berberine has been found to actually lower LDL and cholesterol levels and improve the lipid profiles. Of course, reduce inflammation. So there's a reason for everything. It also affects blood sugar levels. It really improves blood sugar levels. And studies have shown that it's as good as metformin in balancing blood sugar levels. So that's a good one. Garlic, it's a potential reduction in LDL, according to the studies, in cholesterol levels. It can be garlic as a food or garlic extract as supplements to help lower the levels and improve the overall lipid profile. I've recently started doing a lot of garlic fermentation, making black garlic. And I cheated and bought a little like a crock pot looking thing. And it has particular setting. You leave it in for about 11 days and it produces these really nice little very soft and almost sweet garlic cloves. So you can eat a lot more of it more easily because chomping on a raw garlic clove, not so great. So garlic has a great potential. And finally, curcumin, which is from turmeric. I put turmeric in my smoothies every day. Think about how you can guide people to use more of the turmeric, but they can also get a curcumin extract. So play with these things. It's anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and some research shows that it can help improve. So if nothing else, I think this presentation should be reinforcing for you that we need to work with each person individually. We need to help them to identify those diet and lifestyle factors. Stress is super important to get under control in order to get the LDL particles under control. To Overall, for cardiac issues, exercise, movement, oxygenation of the blood, maintaining good body weight, all of these things are critical factors. So hopefully this gives you a little bit more of a look at cardiovascular function in regards to LDL particles. We've done a number of other podcast episodes. Go ahead and look at that. And we should be putting those into a cardiovascular category quite soon and can binge on all of the cardiovascular episodes and learn. We also have our Shine event coming up. And if it's beyond the Shine event, you can always reach out and get videos of it. And we have some amazing speakers that are going to be sharing all different kinds of things related to cardiovascular health. So I encourage you to do the research. I encourage you to really look at getting advanced cardiac testing on everybody that has any kind of family or genetic susceptibility to cardiovascular disease. It's the number one killer, heart attack, but stroke is like the number seven killer. And guess what, guys? 
It's the same disease. It's just in a different part of the body. So it's a really high on the list and people need to be taking care of their good old hearts. And there's a lot of ways that you can be teaching them to do that. So I encourage you to go back to various podcast episodes and learn, 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 learn. There's never a stop to how much you can learn. And go visit our website at inemethod.com so you can be part of the movement to reinvent healthcare. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.